0: We are in a, a sermon series that we're going to continue, and it's called Known in the Unknown. In, in this day and age, right now in the fall of 2020, we have so many things going on in our world, from, from COVID to, and, and, and the quarantines and the fact that we can't, even, we can't meet for church right now, Here in a few weeks, your kids are supposed to go back to school. Your kids aren't going to be able to go back to school. in person, there are so many unknowns. And so we're in this sermon series where we're going to be looking at five Old Testament Bible stories of people who are in the unknown. And the example to us and what we're learning and what we're seeing is is that it's our job to focus on what is known. What we do know, there's so much that we do know that can help us through the unknown. If we let the unknown just dominate our lives, then we, we will, we'll, we'll come to this time and this difficulty and, and even getting to the next step. But I'll tell you that even in this moment, there are people who depend on you. We can't freeze up. We looked at that last week. We simply cannot freeze up. If we go back into the Old Testament and there was creation and then we saw the story of Noah that we studied last week and we start to see the nation of Israel come out when, in the Exodus. They come out of Egypt and Moses leads them in the desert And then they're going to come into the promised land, and they're going to be there for many years. God has told the nation of Israel that you shall have no other gods before me. He had told them, I want you to wipe out the Canaanites and come in and live in this land. And the nation of Israel didn't do that. The nation of Israel actually took on some of the gods of the people who lived in the promised land. Over time, God got frustrated with his people, his chosen people. And he told them time and time and time again, I am your God. And they continued to commit spiritual adultery. They, they simply would not come under the authority of Yahweh, of God, who had, who had had His hands over them throughout the entirety of the trip through the desert and into the Promised Land. This nation of Israel, it took up a, a vast amount of territory, but they started to even fight amongst themselves. There was started out with judges, and then they started having kings, and there were some good kings, and there were some bad kings. But it got to the point to where now there's a power struggle. And this nation splits into two. You've got a northern territory, which is going to retain the name Israel. And you've got a southern territory, which is going to now be called Judah. Both of these territories continue to shun God. God continue not to live by His commands, but to live under worldly direction. It was in the year 722 BC, before Christ, that the northern kingdom was punished. God had had enough. He had told them and told them and told them, and now their punishment is coming. It comes in the way of captivity. God let the Assyrian Empire come in and take over Israel. They took the people into their own land. Israel no longer exists. Now there is the southern territory of Judah. It was originally just a couple of tribes. You would think that after seeing their northern neighbors be exiled and be carried off into a foreign land, punishment for their their sins against God, you would think that they would learn their lesson and they would turn their eyes to God to save their nation, to save their people. Didn't happen. In the year 597 B.C., the punishment comes to Judah. They now are going to be taken into captivity. The Babylonians come in from the east, and they're going to lay siege to Jerusalem. Basically, they'll block all of the roads so nothing can get in, nothing can get out. People can't get out, food can't get in. A city can only last in that type of environment for a certain amount of days. Eventually, you're going to give up. The Babylonians came and took over Judah. so now there is no land of God's people so what we see is that the Babylonians are going to take the Israelites and they're going to walk them across the desert to Babylon and it happened in a couple of different waves but if you can imagine in Jerusalem there was a leader there were kings and and the king had a court And there were people who worked in the palace and and people who were in royalty in Jerusalem. And I want you to see what happens to them. We're going to be in the book of Daniel this morning. And we're going to be in the late part of Daniel chapter 2. And then we're going to be going through Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start out, though, in Daniel chapter 1. I want to give you just a taste of who we're talking about. In Daniel chapter 1, verse number 3, it says, Then the king ordered... Now, this is King... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, this is the king of the Babylonians. They have come in, they have taken the people, they're taking the people from Jerusalem. It says, then the king ordered his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon." So what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he is taking the best of the captives and he's going to train them. He's going to bring them up in the culture, of Babylon. He's going to teach them the language. I want you to see, I'm going to move to Daniel chapter 1, verse number 18. It says this, Daniel 1, verse number 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and ju- and, ba- and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians or enchanters in his entire kingdom. Let's look at this for a minute. King Nebuchadnezzar took his army over to a neighboring territory, laid siege, took everyone captive, brought them into his territory. But out of the captives, he takes the men, the young men, who are strong, who are good-looking, and he puts them in three years of education to bring them up in the ways of the palace, to bring them up in Babylonian uh, literature and in language, and he's going to put them now in his royal palace. And what he finds is there's four men who he has brought from, He is brought from Jerusalem. Four of these captives are actually better than his own astrologers and enchanters and magicians. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in another sermon, but I want you to come with me now to Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to look at three of these four men. Daniel chapter 3 It reads like this, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue. King Nebuchadnezzar had, uh, the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse number four, then a herald shouted out. Real quick, a herald. It's just a man at the at the front of the parade. He's got a horn and he, he just tells everyone, you know, um, hear ye, hear ye. That kind of guy, right? He's in the front. So he's making an announcement to everyone. People of all races and all nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipes and all the other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. The king had called all of the really important people all of Babylon. Now Babylon is, if you can imagine, it's like a, a country and there's different states or provinces. And so all of these governors and people of importance are now out on this, this plane. And they see this 90-foot statue. I want you to see something that's so important here. It's point number one in your notes this morning. The ungodly create false gods. You're not going to get the true God created out of people who are ungodly because the true God cannot be created. He simply is. But the ungodly will create false gods. The high officers and the officials and the governors and the advisors and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, these are... These are men from all the different states. Think about the governors. Think about maybe the attorney generals, the Department of Treasury leaders. Maybe you've got social service leaders in these different areas, and they're all called out to see this this giant statue that has been put up. And you've got the king. You can think of it in our terms. Maybe, Maybe you've got a president, and then you've got all of the governors Okay, And now the king is telling them all, you are now going to worship this, the statue. Who are the leaders in the province of Babylon? This is really important. And for this, we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 48 and 49. After Daniel had interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, verse number 48, then the king appointed Daniel to a high position, and he gave him valuable gifts. And he made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all of his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be in charge of all of the affairs in the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court." So who's the leaders in Babylon? Some of the leaders, and there's many leaders of different states and provinces, but Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you know, we didn't use those names in chapter 1. It's because in chapter 1, we were reading their Hebrew names. When Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, when they were brought over from Jerusalem, now they're in Babylon, they were given different names. They were given now Babylonian names. And that's what we're going to refer to them by throughout the remainder of of this story. But we want to see, and it's important to know, that they were in a high place. They were in a place of power. And they were called to be part of the Of the group of people all of the leaders that is out here on the plain of dura and they are told you're going to worship this 90-foot statue it's kind of a process of follow the leader you know we played that in grade school right somebody was always the leader and, and you'd follow them around and they'd go over the playground equipment right and they'd go through that big tractor tire, and and they'd hop over the swings, right? And you've got one kid, and then you've got nine kids. It's it's kind of the same thing. Is that all of the magistrates, and all of the judges, and, and all of the governors and advisors, they are following their leader, who in this case is the king, Nebuchadnezzar. He says, as your leader, you're now going to worship this, this big statue. And here's the thing, when you hear the music playing, kind of, uh, you know, a big, we're going to have a huge ceremony, okay? There's a lot of different instruments here. Don't think of it as as a couple of guys that are just, you know, out here at the side. No, this is like a royal orchestra. They're all in their, their nice little suits. Or, you know It's, it, it's like a, a high school band at the Rose Parade. Okay, it, All those instruments are out here in the, in the desert. When you hear the band start playing, everyone bow down and worship this, this statue. Follow the leader. Because that's what the leader is telling you to do. That's what this government leader is telling you to do in our world right now there's so much that is unknown and I'll be honest with you we can we can look down this line of, of leadership and we have to discern what is God saying what is our God saying I'll be honest worldwide right now throughout the entire coronavirus pandemic there's leaders in different states, in different nations, in different continents that are approaching this, the the pandemic differently. Everyone's approaching it differently. There is no set course. There's not one particular country whose leaders have got this down and everyone's going to follow that path. There's really no leadership at any place right now but I want you to know what happens, is when there's a vacuum and there's a a void of leadership, it allows others to step in. It allows other people to to stand up with a big voice, stand up with a herald, and say, hey, you know what, Um, on, on this date we're going to do this. What happens is that people start following a false leader people will start following an ungodly leader who is creating false gods. Now, I don't want you to take any of this message and say, we need, oh, you know, pastors saying, you know, whatever the government says is is wrong, don't follow the, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in our world, we must discern, and we must know our Bible because when these false gods rise from the ungodly we need to know the sheep need to hear the shepherd's voice sometimes there's others who look like sheep and who cry loud but they are dressed in wolf's clothing there are there are people who who claim you know what, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a sheep. I'm, I'm here, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm in all these, I'm eating grass. I'm, I'm out here, look at my wool. I'm a sheep. But they haven't read. They haven't focused. They haven't prayed. That's not God leading. We need to discern, who are we following? Because if our leader is not following God, We're following the wrong leader. I want you to come back with me to Daniel chapter 3. We're in verse number 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they don't—they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. See that? So the beginning of this passage in the New Living Translation it refers to them as astrologers. Some of your Bible might refer to them as Chaldeans. These are these are people that we know would focus on the stars, and they would have preference in the royal court. The king really cared. He needed people to read the stars for him and and magicians and, and different positions. So here, basically, we've got people tattling. We have some other leaders that are coming and saying, hey, these Jewish guys. Now remember, there's not going to be a whole lot of Jewish guys who are leaders of a state and of a province. These leaders, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, These are guys who are taken from Jerusalem. These are Hebrews. Everyone else is from Babylon. They're Babylonians. Think there might be a little bit of jealousy? Think that these other leaders might say, you know what, we're going to do what we can to get these these Hebrew leaders out of here because they're not native. They're They're not us. Here's a great opportunity. Like, we just heard the music and they didn't bow down. Let's go tell the king. Come on. Let's go tell the king. I want you to know something. This is point number two in your notes this morning. Watch this. There's always going to be worldly pressures to follow worldly gods. There are always going to be pressures, worldly pressures, to follow worldly gods. In your notes... I want you to do me a favor. If you have printed notes, you'll see gods. I need you to make that a lowercase g, okay? God, uppercase g, we've talked about this. This is our God. This is God the Almighty, uppercase g, God. Gods is anything that people worship that is not God. There's always going to be worldly pressure to follow worldly gods. In verse number 7 that we just read, it says that all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, they bowed to the ground and they worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I want you to, to, to realize something. It says all the people did this. Diversity in Babylon? Yeah. Watch this. Whatever their race, whatever their nation, Whatever their language, what did they do? They all bowed to the ground. We're not looking at a nation here that all looks exactly the same. We're looking at a diverse territory. And every single nation, language, and race followed a leader to bow down to a false God. Everyone except three Hebrews who grew up under a command that thou shalt not have any other gods before me. These other people didn't. They're going to do what their leader tells them to do. Not these boys. Because they're going to do what God Almighty tells them to do. The astrologers went and informed the king. We already talked about that. The astrologers are some wise men, these these are smart guys, in the in the royal court. The Jews, the Jewish, the Hebrews, they are restricted by their faith, they are restricted from worshiping anyone or anything. Think they're gonna bow down to a big giant 90 foot it's like nine stories tall. Think they're gonna bow down to that? Mm Mm-mm. They're not. You think they're going to be easy to spot when all of the other leaders who are out here in the desert, every single one has bowed down. You think these guys are going to be easy to spot? They're the only three standing up. Everyone else is down on the ground. Big gold statue. You look around, the only thing that you can see is a gold statue. Hundreds of, of men who are down on the ground bowing to the statue and three guys standing up. Think they're easy to spot? Yeah, they're easy to spot. That's what happens when Christians stand up from a crowd. you are easy to spot. When we're following God, when we're following what what God is telling us to do, knowing that we cannot worship false gods, you are going to be easy to spot. And let me tell you something, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. As a matter of fact, I would like to be easy to spot. As a Christian, and I want everyone to be able to spot us easy. Right? I want you to be spotted easy from anyone in your neighborhood who has not come to faith in Jesus. I want them to know just by looking at you. You know why? Because everyone else is bowing down; you are standing up. Be easy to spot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to—they had to pick a side. We live in this pick a side culture all the time. We really do. Sports are built on picking a side. Our political system right now is built on picking a side. The pandemic now, masks are now pick a side. Everything is pick a side. Whose side are you going to be on? Celebrity magazines, There's, there's celebrity fights that go on, I hear. And people pick a side. And see, here's the thing. People will shame you for not picking the right side. They will. It's going to happen. And it really doesn't matter what, if, if there's a difference in the sides. You, know, you, could, you can go to sports. I'll be honest with you. I shame every Cowboys fan. I really do. Every single one of them. I think I've got one right back here. I've got another one right back there. So these two Cowboys fans are here in person this week. And I just want to let you know, they won't be here in person next week. Um, yeah. You have to pick a side. I pick every side except the Cowboys. That's what I have. Every other side? Good side. Cowboys. And so I know I'm going to hear about this. Leanna, I'm sorry about the chat room right now. Um, Leanna's our chat room host, and so I'm sure that she's hearing about it. Look, I feel the same way about the Yankees. Okay? So, yeah, Yankees and, and Cowboys. I'm not going to... We're not going to talk about the Lakers today. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. Our entire world, though, is built on picking a side. And people will shame you for not picking. It's not that you picked the wrong side. It's that you didn't pick their side. You didn't pick the side that they want you to pick. See, here's something that's so important. I'm not really concerned if I satisfy your urge for me picking your side. See, your, not you, but the world's want of my side, of, of where I'm going, I'm not, that's not my concern. I, I want you to pick God's side, but it's not my concern to adjust my behavior to fit the world's wants. That's not what our job is to do. I want you to come back with me to Daniel chapter 3. We're in verse number 13. Watch this. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, what god will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Here's point number three in your notes this morning. People will get angry when you hold your ground. It's going to happen people will get angry when you hold your ground. We have to stand up. We have to be on a solid foundation. We cannot sway. The world wants you to sway, and when you don't sway, people will get angry. Just spend about 30 seconds on Twitter this afternoon and you'll see how Christians are tortured in the public square you're swimming against the flow when you stand up for your faith what you know God's love is going to lead you into areas that are unknown it's going to lead you into territories that you're not familiar with because You're going to be put in front of people who will worship false gods. People who are angry with you for standing up. You know what? That's okay. That's our job. Our job isn't to make men happy. It's to make God's name known. What others feel about your faith That's irrelevant to your faith. Your job is to teach and to reach, but not to cower. People get angry. That's not a you problem. Now, we need to love them. We need to teach them. But we know people will get angry. That's going to happen. Know it going in. It's nothing that we have to adjust for. Because the Christian's life, the Christian's directions, the Christian's rules, the Christian's restrictions, they do not change. doesn't really matter what the world does. You're going to hear this. You're going to hear something like, oh yeah, well that book's really old. And we don't, we, you know, we've grown up, we don't really do it that way anymore. You know, oh, or we, um, yeah, we've moved on from that mentality and now we can do whatever we want. Like, we don't, no. God never gave us permission to move on to a mentality that we've created. God only gave us permission to move on to tell others about Him. That's our move on. Our rules are in the book. There is no... There is no changing that. We have to hold firm. Let's finish this up. We're in Daniel chapter 3. We're going to go verses 19 through 30 and see the end of this. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed with their pants and their turbans, their robes, and all of their other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement, and he exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't, advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we, we certainly did, they replied. Look! Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Some of your translations will say looks like the son of god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, "Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high god, come out! Come here!" So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except, the, except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher position in the province of Babylon. I want you to see this. This is the fourth point in your notes this morning. When the heat of the furnace leads to the unknown, God's presence remains flawless and sufficient. When the heat of the furnace leads to the unknown, God's presence remains flawless and sufficient. One of the misconceptions some Christians make when they are in the furnace is that they need to get out of the fire as soon as possible. God may have put you in the furnace for a reason. Just because we're in a place that is uncomfortable and hot doesn't mean we need to get out right away. We're here for a reason. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in those flames For a reason. Watch this. What's the reason? You see those last verses? Verse 28 Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a reason why they were in there to bring praise to God. Look what the king then did. He said, I make a decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, were to speak a word against them, and then comes punishments. Now, it doesn't mean that the king told all of the people in his nation to worship Yahweh, God Almighty. But it certainly changed his perception of God because these three men were in the fire. And you know what? They went into the fire willingly. I want you to see this. When they were standing up and the other astrologers went to tattle on them, saying, hey, you know what, they're standing up, you need to throw them into the fire. You think they were scared? Probably scared of the fire. I mean, If you've ever been burned on the stove, it's not comfortable. It's really not. But see, to them, they were in a win-win situation. Watch this. One of two things is going to happen. If God saves them, like he did, literally out of this fire, then his name is glorified and people are going to know him. There's a win. But if they die, so many people are going to see the strength of their faith. And they're going to see that these three men would not bend to this world. And that is another win. See, you might be in the fire looking for a way out, and God might keep you there right now because He has a win planned for your situation. Somebody will either know God because of where you're at, or somebody will see the strength of your faith because of where you're at. If you get out of the fire too soon, you could be doing a disservice to what God has planned. Sometimes we like to get out of the fire too soon, You say, well, pastor, it's uncomfortable going into the fire. That is the unknown. That's the area that, that we're walking into naked. We, we, don't have, we don't have anything to protect us. You do have something to protect you. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to put that up on the screen right here. You have some amazing armor to protect you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, Paul writes this in a final word, he's writing to the Ephesians Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Watch this. Here's what we're going to put on. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world. Any of this sound familiar right now? And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Watch this. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You do not walk into the unknown unprepared. God has given you armor. You are wearing, you have a shield. You are wearing a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Spirit. You have, you have shoes, the Word of God. You are not walking into the unknown unprepared. You are walking into the unknown with a known. God's not going anywhere. And you put on this armor it's going to be there it's not as if you're going to walk and walk and walk and your shoes of the Word of God are going to wear out it's not as if you're going to take so many arrows on your shield that your shields just going to fall apart it's not this shield never breaks. This helmet of salvation never breaks. Your breastplate of righteousness, it never breaks. You have strong armor. God's given it to you because He knows that you need it. Because He knows that you're going into the furnace. For your faith, that you're living in a world of people who can't stand your God, who are angry at you because you worship the God of the Bible, and you won't cower to their made-up, man-made statues. Sorry, God tells us. We shall have no other God before Him that's in addition to Him. We've got one God. We serve one God. Others will be angry. That's okay. You walk into the unknown with all of your armor on, and God's going to be there with you. The fourth man in the fire. Let's pray.